So I am what's called a PK, a preacher's kid. And one thing that happens to us PKs in adulthood is that most people, when they find out your mom or your dad is a preacher or a priest, they presume you grew up with extraordinary piety and devotion. <laughs> Homes with monastic-style ambiance, prayers all the time, daily doses of scripture reading, scripture study. Now, a few of my PK friends, a very few, did have homes like that. Not mine. The only scripture I remember my dad talking about outside of church or chapel was what we just heard, love thy neighbor. Now, granted, my dad is an Episcopal priest and we aren't the most Bible-thumpy branch of the Jesus movement, but I remember asking him in my teens, should I read the Bible? And he said, well, Kate, one thing you gotta know about that Bible, and only one thing, love God, love your neighbor. If I were my dad, I should probably sit down right now and skip the rest of the sermon. <laughs> but I'm not. I thought this was Jesus's greatest revelation, unique to Christianity, love our neighbors. And I was honestly gobsmacked when I hit adulthood and was well into adulthood, and if you don't know me, well before ordination, when I read the Old Testament. And it turns out this idea is core to Judaism. Jesus, and what we heard this morning, is actually quoting Hebrew scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's Deuteronomy 6.5. And the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. The Torah, the Pentateuch, the source of what has become our Christian marching orders. And it comes out of Jesus in a context of being challenged by religious leadership, leaders who were trying to trap him, to get him to say something heretical so they could arrest him. Jesus has already ridden into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday just happened. He's already overturned the tables in the temple, and he's been challenged over and over again by all flavors of religious leadership. And yet, when he was challenged up until this morning's reason, reading, he would respond in a parable, a parable that would flip the tables and turn into a challenge of the religious leaders, challenging their understanding of scripture and even challenging their leadership. So in today's reading, the leaders bring in their big gun, the expert lawyer, the one who knows Jewish law inside out. And this lawyer asks, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And they're hoping Jesus will pick just one and deny all the others, and bam, they've got him. But no, Jesus says all the law, all the commandments, everything that the prophets and scripture preached 
are part of these two overarching commandments, loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. These are showstopper commandments with love right at the center. These are commandments rooted in relationship, our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. Now, our modern understanding of the word love is different from the biblical witness of love. If we think of love, we think in terms of our feelings, our emotions. How do I feel about you? Do I care about you? And this is where we get stuck. One scholar put it this way, how does one conjure up feelings for something as remote mysterious and disembodied as the concept of God. We cannot look into God's eyes, wrap our arms around the spirit, or even see the face of Jesus. Yet we're commanded to love. So let's look at what Jesus revealed about love in his earthly ministry. He shared divine, unconditional love for us, for people, through healing the sick, through challenging injustices, and embracing outcasts and the marginalized. Jesus revealed the true nature of love in actions of loving kindness, actions suffused with mercy and generosity. So love in scripture is about the action of choosing to respond to God's love for us, regardless if, we, of if we're feeling those warm, godly fuzzies. In the early 20th century, a psychotherapist, Alfred Adler, developed a form of therapy based on the concept of act as if. And maybe you've heard the idiom, fake it till you make it. The idea is that engaging in healthy behaviors, regardless of our anxieties, fears, neuroses, whatever, that engaging in loving behaviors, good behaviors, that will transform us. And that idea is reflected today in cognitive behavioral therapy. And it, to me, it sounds like this is just a modern expression, a psychological expression of what Jesus is preaching here. Be loving with God. Be as loving with others as we are with ourselves. If you don't feel it, fake it till you make it. So there's a powerful dynamic here. The more we orient ourselves to God, the more we are able to love one another. And the more we are able to love one another, the deeper our love for God becomes. The more we are able to bring our brokenness to God, the more God's love filling that brokenness helps us relate to the brokenness and accept the brokenness in those people we maybe don't want to deal with, in those situations that are really hard. It's a cycle, each one dependent on the other, and it's a cycle of action not feeling. Desmond Tutu writes that religion is not just about our relationship with God, it's, 
quote, more about the manner in which we interact with others, about our broader responsibilities to the human family and to the earth we share. This is love as action in the here and now with the whole of God's creation. This is a challenging call. It's not easy to live into. Our world is acutely fractured, our nation terribly fractured. Some of us live in fractured homes and work in fractured workplaces. And for many of us, the instinct in dealing with this brokenness is to withdraw from engaging with others and sort of wall ourselves off and say, you know, I'm gonna just engage with God. Our temptation is to convince ourselves this is the most holy thing to do, to step away from any force that is abusive, hateful, or even destructive. And we can even cite scripture, pull little things out of scripture to help convince ourselves we're doing the right thing. Turn the other cheek, for example. But if you really study that passage, the cheek turning is not walking away. The cheek turning is standing before the darkness in love. Letting that abuse play out in the face of love. So again, let's look at Jesus in this kind of context. Jesus' love for everyone led him to jump into debates and jump into conflict, just like what's been happening in, in the temple with all the religious leadership. He's not seeing the money changers in the, in the temple and running off to the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, oh, Father, save them, they know not what they do. He doesn't do that. He overturns the tables. He presents this great contrast between the forces of greed and the forces of welcome and love. And he's doing that in engaging with the Pharisees, presenting a different picture of love, engaging with them. Divine love led Jesus into situations that for any of us feel uncomfortable, scary, and even dangerous. It can be paralyzing looking out at all the conflicts. But there are bold people living into their faith right here in our pews and out in the world that are engaging in this kind of active love. Just in the last few years, we've seen the explosion of Black Lives Matter movement led at the core by people of faith and religious leadership. We've seen the Women's March, the Sanctuary Movement, and most recently here in LA, we've seen the explosive challenge to workplace sexual abuse and harassment. And women in the last two weeks blanketing social media with the hashtag MeToo posts. This hashtag MeToo of women, regardless of industry, regardless of background, teenagers even, elderly women, whatever the socioeconomic background, women posting MeToo, saying I too have experienced harassment and abuse. That's an action of love. 
That's an action standing up to the world saying, this is how the world should be. It should not have these abusive practices. So there's a cartoon that flew around some of the social media feeds in the weeks after that horrific mass murder in Las Vegas. Is a picture of a very colorful control panel with all these buttons and levers and bright different colors, and all the buttons and levers were labeled, do something, do something, do something, do something. And there was one button in the middle that said thoughts and prayers. And guess where the little hand reaching in, which button it's gonna go for? Thoughts and prayers. Our thoughts and prayers are necessary, but they're not sufficient. Loving God, loving ourselves, loving our neighbors means harnessing those prayers, opening ourselves up to the thoughts that may be divinely inspired of what do we do? What something am I to do? What somethings am I already doing and that I can share with others to bring them in to loving action? To love, as Tutu said, all of God's creatures. The good news is God's love is with us. God's love feeds us here in community when we're engaging in the action of loving God through worship, when we're engaging in the action of loving God through prayer, loving God through service. We can feed on that love. So let us pray to God that we may love you with all your, our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds. We ask, O oh God, to fill us with the power of your love, that we may become your heart and soul and mind, your arms and legs here on earth. Give us the strength and courage to be your love in all that we do, loving our neighbors as ourselves. Amen.